Stingy Jack was a miserable old drunk who loved playing tricks on anyone and everyone. One dark Halloween night, Jack ran into the devil himself in a local public house. Jack tricked the devil by offering his soul in exchange for one last drink, but of course Jack would not pay for that drink. The devil quickly turned himself into a sixpence to pay the bartender. Jack immediately snatched the coin and deposited it into his pocket next to a silver cross that he was carrying. Thus the devil could not change himself back, and Jack refused to allow the devil to go free until the devil had promised not to claim Jack's soul for ten years. The devil agreed, and ten years later, Jack again came across the devil while out walking on the country road. The devil tried collecting what he was due, but Jack, thinking quickly, said, I'll go, but before I do, will you give me an apple from that tree? The devil, thinking he had nothing to lose, jumped up into the tree to retrieve an apple. As soon as he did, Jack placed crosses all around the trunk of the tree, thus trapping the devil once again. This time, Jack made the devil promise that he would not take his soul when he finally died. Seeing no way around this predicament, the devil grudgingly agreed. When stingy Jack eventually passed away several years later, he went to the gates of heaven, but was refused entrance because of his life of drinking and because he had been so tight-fisted and deceitful. So Jack then went down to hell to see the devil and find out whether it were possible. So Jack then went down to hell to see the devil and find out whether it was possible to gain entrance into the depths of hell. But the devil kept the promise that had been made to Jack years earlier and would not let him enter. But where can I go? asked Jack. Back to where you came from, replied the devil. The way back was windy and very dark. Stingy Jack pleaded with the devil to at least provide him with a light to help find his way. The devil, as a final gesture, tossed Jack an ember straight from the fires of hell. Jack placed the ember in a hollowed-out turnip, one of Jack's favorite foods which he always carried around with him whenever he could steal one. From that day forward, Stingy Jack had been doomed to roam the earth without a resting place, and with only his lit turnip to light the way in the darkness. Welcome back to Why Is That? Tis the season for spookiness, spiders, and candy corn. Last year, we explored the childhood custom of trick-or-treating. This year, many localities have stated it is probably safer to forego that activity as part of public health measures. At the same time, another common fall activity has seen a reduction as select pumpkin patches throughout the world have curtailed or canceled on-site activities. Despite that, as you drive or walk around town, you have probably noticed the orange gourd appearing on doorsteps to bring a little fall cheer and color to the landscape. I myself have picked up four pumpkins from my local grocery store and have them set outside. I have not carved mine as of yet, but lots of people have carved faces or designs into their decorative squashes to make them jack-o'-lanterns for Halloween. It is a fun tradition for the creative and artful among us, and an embarrassing reminder of art classes of yonder for the rest of us. Whichever camp you fall into, it does beg the question, why do we display and carve pumpkins, then call them jack-o'-lanterns for Halloween? Fear not, in this holiday special, why is that has the answer. You may remember in last year's episode that I mentioned the connection between Halloween traditions and the Gaelic festival of Samhain. Just like with trick-or-treating, we do see certain influences and inspirations for Samhain traditions that impacted the use of jack-o'-lanterns. Samhain was a pre-Christian Gaelic festival that was most popular in Scotland, Ireland, and on the Isle of Man. One thing that all three of these locations have in common 
is that the pumpkin is not native to any of them. The pumpkin is instead native to North America, and specifically originated in Central America. Archaeologists discovered the oldest domesticated pumpkin seeds in the Oaxaca highlands of Mexico, which makes pumpkins one of the oldest domesticated plants in the world, dating somewhere from 8,000 to 10,000 years old. The pumpkin was possibly the first plant in the Americas to be cultivated and bred for human use. It marked a major shift from nomadic hunting and foraging to a settled agricultural way of life. This helped lead to large-scale settlements, and slowly the pumpkin was spread throughout North America. By November 1621, it had been brought all the way to Plymouth in Massachusetts to be harvested by the Wampanoag. The Wampanoag brought the gourd to the first Thanksgiving to share with the struggling American colonists. Forty years before that, the pumpkin was encountered by Jacques Cartier as he ventured through what is now Canada. Cartier thought the winter squash looked like a large melon and thus named it the papon from the Greek word for large melon. The French changed it to pompon, followed by pompion in Britain, before that was adopted to pumpkin by American colonists. In 1654, Edward Johnson published The Wonder-Working Providence of Scion's Savior in New England, which is also known as A History of New England from 1628 to 1652. In it, he describes the colonists' initial reaction to the pumpkin with the following passage. A want of English grain, wheat, barley, and rye proved a sore affliction for some stomachs, who could not live upon Indian bread and water. Instead of apples and pears, they had pumpkins and squashes of diverse kinds. Their lonesome condition was very grievous to some. Over time, the colonists stopped thinking of the pumpkin as something solely to eat, and instead as a symbol of their identity that was separate from the life they had left behind. The lonesome condition that Johnson described pinned dependence on local resources, like the pumpkin, as a sign of desperation. But to the colonists, this grew to a point of pride. They had learned how to survive in the new land, and it was in part thanks to the pumpkin. By the time of the American Revolution, Americans had turned the pumpkin and pumpkin farming into meaningful emblems of American independence and cultural identity. The pumpkin had grown to be a symbol of America's bounty and one of the recognizable images of the New World, though admittedly it was more associated with peasants and the poor than the rich. As the pumpkin's image changed with American colonists, it also grew more recognizable with Europeans. For instance, take Cinderella. The version of Cinderella that we are most familiar with today is the 1697 version told by Charles Perrault in his collection of French literary tales titled Histories au Comtesse du Temps Passé. In it, Perrault adapted earlier versions of Girl with the Glass Slipper type fairy tale into our modern Cinderella. The most notable inspiration for Perrault's tale can be found in Giambattista's Pantamarone, which was a collection of Italian fairy tales published in 1637. The sixth story of the collection was Cenerentola, which translates to Cinderella in English. It was set in the Kingdom of Naples in Italy and has the familiar outline of the story we know and love today. Perrault made multiple changes to the tale for his collection. One of the most significant and popular changes was made to Cinderella's carriage. He changed it so that the fairy godmother transformed a pumpkin into the carriage. It reflected the growing popularity and notoriety of the pumpkin in Europe, and it became one of the iconic parts of the Disney version 250 years later. As the pumpkin grew in popularity, it also became ubiquitous with fall. This was due to the pumpkin's growing schedule. The pumpkin needs warmer weather and soil to grow and is typically planted between the last week of May and the middle of June. 
From planting to maturity, the pumpkin typically takes on average around 100 days, taking anywhere from 90 to 120 days to grow, reach maturity with a bright orange color, and be picked. If you were to plant on June 10th, a 100-day maturity date would be September 18th, perfectly aligned with the fall harvest seasons and just in time for October and November festivities. This naturally linked the pumpkin to the fall season, and that is one of the reasons that pumpkin has come to be such an important part of the Thanksgiving feast. The timing also explains why fall is marked by pumpkin spice season throughout coffee shops and grocery stores. I even recently bought pumpkin spice flavored oatmeal, and I have to say it's pretty good. Given that the pumpkin was an important fixture of the harvest and an important symbol of America, it only made sense to incorporate it into the harvest season festivals like those of Halloween and Thanksgiving. However, long before Europeans set foot on American soil and were introduced to pumpkins, they were celebrating harvest festivals. While there have been many harvest festivals in many different cultures in many different time periods, the one that influenced today's use of pumpkins as jack-o'-lanterns is that of Samhain and the borrowing of customs into Halloween. The Samhain festival was one of, if not the most, important festivals of the Gaelic year. There is much we do not know about it, and it is likely that unfounded superstitions have been attached to it by those hostile to pagan rituals. Based on the evidence available, though, it is believed that the day was marked with feasting, guising, sacrifices, bonfires, various pre-Christian religious practices, and a belief that it was the one day of the year when the realm of the living would overlap with the realm of the dead. As a result of the overlap, spirits of the dead would walk amongst those of the living. This celebration naturally fit quite well with the Catholic holidays of All Saints Day and All Souls Days, with the eve of which falling on the same day as the traditional Samhain festival. Naturally, as the areas that had previously celebrated Samhain were converted to Christianity, some of the holiday traditions were incorporated. As we found out last year, this included early forms of what would later become known as trick-or-treating. In the introduction section of today's episode, I recited the story of Stingy Jack as recorded on the website Nova Reina. Multiple renditions of the story exist, but all have the same basic outline and plot. The legend of Stingy Jack and his ultimate fate of walking forever in a world between the living and the dead, with only a single ember placed in a hollowed-out turnip to light his way, was originally thought to be a Gaelic legend. Obviously, things have been modernized to make sense to our modern worldview that includes the devil, a silver cross, heaven and hell, but evidence suggests that the same basic story existed in pre-Christian Ireland. Due to the presence in the story of a spirit walking the earth, it naturally came to be a story associated with Samhain and subsequently early Irish Halloween. Alternatively, perhaps the story was created as a fun holiday story. Either way, the story inspired those celebrating Samhain and Halloween to create their own hollowed-out turnips with an ember inside to light the way for the spirits walking the world on this special night. The story of Stingy Jack even gave the lit-up turnip its name. You see, Jack was doomed to walk the world for the rest of eternity with only his hollowed-out makeshift lantern. Thus he became Jack of the Lantern. For convenience sake, the F in of and the the in the was dropped, and he later became known as Jack O'Lantern. This same practice can be seen in Willem the Wisp becoming Will-O-Wisp. The name was then given as the title of the homemade hollowed-out turnips with their coal inside, and thus the decorated turnips were Jack-O-Lanterns. I would encourage you to do a Google image search of Jack-O-Lantern turnip to get an idea of what these look like. They are horrifying and much creepier than our modern orange smiling pumpkin version. 
With the conversion to Christianity, the turnip version of the jack-o'-lantern became a symbol of Halloween and the former Gaelic territories. The hollowed-out turnip custom did not really spread outside of these regions until the days of Irish emigration, particularly the 19th century one that led many to America. As Irish immigrants landed in America, they brought a dual want of fitting in and maintaining parts of their heritage. In America, the turnip was not as plentiful, but there was another food item whose plenty, round shape, and ability to put a flame or piece of coal inside without burning down a whole village was readily available, inexpensive, and already associated with the harvest season. Soon enough, these new Americans were hollowing out pumpkins, carving holes into the face, placing candles or coals inside, and placing them outside their homes to commemorate Halloween. The practice seemed like fun and easy to replicate. Soon enough, the inexpensive winter squash was being purchased not to eat, but to decorate for Halloween. The pumpkin and its fiery grin served the same purpose as the hollowed-out turnip, and as a result, it shared the name of jack-o'-lantern. The most popular jack-o'-lantern variety today is the Connecticut Field Pumpkin. It's plump and orange with perfect ridges. It does not taste the best, but it is perfect for the purpose of sitting out on your front stoop to greet all the neighborhood trick-or-treaters. It is a far cry from the first pumpkins that were harvested thousands of years ago, but it shares the tradition that made it a proud symbol of American endurance. As the melting pot brought in a new culture, the symbol was updated. It combined an old world tradition with a new world plant. That new world plant has even replaced the turnip and jack-o'-lanterns back in Europe. This is in part due to the fact that pumpkins are a whole heck of a lot easier to carve than a turnip is, which makes it more fun and easier for children to partake in the tradition. Back in the United Kingdom, the term jack-o'-lantern is often thought of as an Americanism, with the carved pumpkins instead often being referred to as Halloween lanterns. This custom has grown in popularity in recent decades. In the process of researching this episode, I came across an article in the Evening Chronicle, a newspaper produced in Newcastle, in it, the journalist recounts tales of carving the turnip version of the Halloween lantern and shares a picture from 1974 of several young Brits happily carving turnips for Halloween. One of the people featured in the article recounts the good old days of the 1980s and 1990s when everywhere you went there was the smell of burnt turnips in the air. The pumpkin has since largely replaced the turnip and become the more popular and accepted base for the Halloween lantern. This is due to an influence from America, where Halloween has always been a much more popular holiday than in England, where Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night was the much more popular event, taking place only five days later. As American culture proliferated the world with popular movies like 1993's Hocus Pocus, it became natural to also practice similar traditions. Plus, as noted, pumpkins are easier to carve than the harder, smaller turnips, and they are very cheap typically costing under two pounds. Today, over 17 million pumpkins are sold annually in the United Kingdom for the purposes of decoration, and over a quarter of Brits report that they tend to buy a pumpkin for Halloween each year, which is a nice number compared to the 46% of Americans who do the same, which would equal around 152 million pumpkins. Alright, that does it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Why Is That? and were interested in the background of the jack-o'-lantern. If you did, I would appreciate a rating in your favorite podcast app, or if you told someone to check out the show. But most importantly, be sure to subscribe using Acast, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you are listening right now. You can also find me on Twitter, at WhyIsThatPod. Okay, thank you for listening to Why Is That. Until next time, cheers.